Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are doing another mailbag episode where Vex and I will be answering the listener questions that we shouted out on social media earlier today. And uh, we had a bunch of people that responded. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who put some questions in there. We picked a few of them out that we are going to run with here. But uh, before we do get to those questions, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Vex, what is up today? Not much big dog. Put in a shift today, 12 hour day shaping minds and bodies in the St. Louis area. <laughs> got to go to uh, TPH, Total Package Hockey, with uh, Phil McRae, who's been on the podcast before, former NHLer, former dad was an NHLer, and even cooler um, than his dad being an NHLer and an assistant GM is that his dad was in the movie The Mighty Ducks. So love Philly, got to go to TPH, give a nutrition talk today to the uh, young bucks over there. So that was super fun and trained some people and now i'm here with uh, the man the myth and the legend that is topher scott oh boy there we go i'm in tampa bay florida right now as my team is playing against the florida alliance this weekend so i am uh, happy to be in 71 degree weather actually had a big win for the boys last night it was a great game we played against the mission in Chicago and uh, won three, two in a shootout. So it was a pretty exciting game. Both goalies played really well. Um, our goalies unreal in the shootouts. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. So um, always fun electric. to have rivalry games. Electric. God, I love it. It's going to be that sh- time of the year too. Yeah. It's going to be that time of the year where games are starting to get a little bit more important, you know, and like we have our league playoffs coming up, state tournaments coming up, all that kind of good stuff. So um a lot of good things happening. It's time of the year. Things start cracking. We love it. We love it. How many shooters do you guys do? Three. Three. Ooh. Yeah. So our first guy scored, and then uh, our goalie stopped everybody else. So it was unreal. Wow. Money. Oh, love, yeah. Love that. And it was, we actually we won in a shootout uh, the day before that as well against Compuware. And first guy scored, and then he stopped all three shooters. It was the same goalie. <laughs> wow. Tendy's on fire. Listen Five foot up, six. Scouts. Five foot six goalie, and uh, he is Lurgy, dude. Like, he legit. You is know Lurgy. what? You, I remember you talking about him when you guys came to my gym in St. Louis, and then I yeah. remember you talking about him on the podcast, too. So, yeah, hopefully, uh, the scouts are taking notice. I love yeah, it for sure. Um, all right, you want to get to the questions here? Let's get right into it. Let it rip. You go first. Here we go. Yeah, let's Mr. Mr. Blue check mark. I get all these questions because I have a blue check mark on him. <laughs> uh, First question. This is a this is a good one from uh, Jade Aginla, who's actually going to be playing college hockey at Brown University. There we go. Uh, uh, Muncie's alma mater. Yep. Uh, is burnout real? She asked. How do you know if you are burned out in season? That's a phenomenal question. I think question one is yes it is very much real i think at a lot of different times um you know i'm sure you felt it i've felt it as a player and a coach it's a long season dude it is a long long season and burnout absolutely 100 percent is real how do you um recognize when you're kind of feeling it 
I, I think it's when like you're not jazzed to go to the rink anymore. Um, it, it almost feels like a job and something you have to do into instead of something that you get to do. Um, I think with that though, there, I think there has to be a conversation because it's not like, Oh, I need to like, sometimes you got to trick yourself into making it fun. And then as coaches, you have to change things up at certain times throughout the year to have to make it a little bit more just so it's not so mundane and every day is groundhog day and the same, you know? So I think everybody kind of goes through it. I, I think NHL players go through it a hundred percent. NHL coaches go through it a hundred percent, 82 games, grind, travel, all that kind of stuff. Um, it is very much real. And so what can you do? I think you just got to find ways to, to change things up a little bit, find things to, to make things fun. I think competition is always uh, a way to do that. And so I don't know about what you think, but I think absolutely it's real. I've felt it. Um, I know a lot of people have felt it. And so um, what, are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, 100%. It um, doesn't matter how much you love hockey. Uh, I also think that it's a lot easier to get burned out if you're either not winning or you're personally not having the success yeah. that you feel like you should be. That's a great it's a point. lot easier to get burned out. So that also tells me how important it is to take care of yourself uh, mentally and physically all season long. You know, you got to find things that you like, uh, whether that's, you know, playing guitar or, you know, I don't meditation, doing yoga, like do other things in the season that make you happy and keep you happy and keep you grounded um, and keep you in a good mental headspace so that you're looking forward to go to hockey. If all you do is hockey, 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 and all you live for is hockey, 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 sometimes I feel like you can't get burned out. So make sure you have other things going on as well. I think that's something that can help. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, balance in life is, is everything and it's so difficult to attain. Uh, I think a lot of different times as a relatively new parent, I'm sure the relatively new or not relatively new parents, but any parents listening can attest to that. Um, and yeah, I think you just have to find ways to um, just diversify your interests and make sure that you're doing things that, like you said, that make you happy outside of whatever the, the job is, you know, for college hockey players, the job is playing college hockey for youth hockey players could be playing youth hockey. And uh, yeah, the more, and we've had people on the podcast, I remember Duncan Fletcher in specifics who works with the NHLPA and does a bunch of different stuff with them. And his big thing was like people who have interests and do things outside of hockey actually perform better when they play hockey. And that was at the highest of level. So I have to imagine that it's the same thing for, for younger kids too, you know? So yeah, I think burnout a hundred percent, it's a, it's a real thing. Um, and I think it's really incumbent, to, especially at the youth levels on the coaches to make sure that you're making it fun for, for the kids that are playing. I mean, professional coaches do the same thing. They understand at certain times throughout the year, and you can attest this playing pro hockey, there's certain times maybe you get a day off and you go to a team building event. Or, you know, it's a small area games day. Sometimes, you know, even in college, we used to do shinny Mondays in college um, where every Monday practice in the second half of the year was just shinny. We would just throw a puck out, put the music on and let the guys play four on four. And so um, just finding ways to do fun things like that to, to change things up for the kids, I, I think is really important. Yeah, I know one of the junior teams that I work with uh, as a strength coach on Mondays, they don't have like a real practice. If they sweep the weekend, they have they have like a, a special, I'm not going to say the names or anything, but they have like a special thing they named it. And 
they'll play uh, they'll play against each other on Monday and not have like a, a quote unquote real practice. We'll just have a workout and that type of scrimmage, like you said, if they sweep the weekend. So like things like that, definitely keep it fresh and fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Keep it fresh and fun. Keep it fresh and fun. I love it. Uh, okay. Anything else? Move on to the next one. Next one, baby. Thank you for that question, Jay. That was awesome. Uh, okay. This is Dennis from Tisdale, Saskatchewan. Great place. Tisdale, Sask. Uh, what are your thoughts on players playing their off wing? Well, I guess I would love to have asked uh, like an it depends type of thing. I would love to ask how old because I was having this conversation with somebody recently, um, a, a coach, somebody who coaches younger players. And I was saying like, I, I think up until, I still think that up until like, I don't know, 13, everyone should play every position. I think in games, especially games at the beginning of the season, I just think it for, for, we always talk about development. I think that seeing different, seeing the puck and seeing the ice and seeing everything that's happening from different views and different perspectives on the ice can only make you a better player. Like, so I think that everyone should play their off wing. And then, you know, as you get to an older level and it's, you know, you're, you're playing a position full time. um, I think that it's the more skills you have and the more tools in your toolbox, the more valuable you are as you can go up. So like I was a left winger. If I could only play left wing, I wouldn't be as valuable as I was because I can play center or right wing. And if a team asked me if I played center, I, yeah, sure. I play center. Of yes, course I played 100% center. percent you say yes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I said yes. <laughs> and then you figure it out. <laughs> yeah, man, you figure it out. Like I remember I got thrown into playing center in an HL game in Wilkes-Barre and I scored her only goal playing center. And I was like, oh man, I haven't played center since like. I don't even know Sports. midgets. And I told him, yeah, of course I can play center, <laughs> but yeah, the more, the more tools you got in the toolbox, I think the more useful you are and the more situations you can be used in. So especially at the younger levels, I think they should be playing their off wing because I think they should also be playing defense and center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You? Um, yeah. I, I think there are certainly benefits. I'll go a little bit more on a different route than you did. I loved your route, by the way. Great. Great answer. Thanks, Thanks for liking my route. Thanks for what? Liking my route. Oh, yes, you're welcome. Um, I'll, I'll go a little bit more towards like kind of like the higher level, older way to go. Um, first of all, before I do get to that, one of my pet peeves is kids that cannot catch passes on their backhands or like college players or <laughs> like older that can't catch passes on their backhand. Uh, if you want to be able to play the off wing, you better be able to catch a pass on your backhand um, because you're going to be getting a lot of bucks on your backhand um, and make passes on your backhand too. So um, it's just crazy when you're doing like passing drills in practice sometimes like, and we've talked about this before, kids will like contort their body into these crazy different ways to make sure that the, it like the pass goes to their forehand. They'll take like an absolutely wrong angle to the puck so they don't have to catch dude, it. And it's like, dude, I was to- one of those guys. I was one of those guys, not, <laughs> not contorting it, but like, I remember midget, midget major, we had to do a drill like seven times in a row. Literally, I couldn't catch on my backhand. Marky made us maybe regroup, come back, do it again. Miss it on my backhand again, regroup, do it again. It kept going off my toe, off oh. the heel, miss it. And then you're just like, oh my God, everyone hates me right now. I can't catch it on my backhand. And it was just so frustrating. But I worked at it. Like after that, I was like, wow, I'm really bad at this. And I really, really, really worked at it and I got better, but I still say like, I played a lot of right wing 
in pro and i'd always be like oh please pass to my forehand that is hilarious yeah and, yeah. and not surprising <laughs> <laughs> oh i like it all right so um so i'll go a different route i think there are a few benefits to playing the off wing uh, number one is you're on your, like, if you stay in your lanes, right. As you're coming up the ice, like you, I mean, a lot of times slash support, you're going to be on your offhand anyway. So if like you're a left winger and your team slash supports on the breakout, like you're going to end up getting the puck on your offhand side anyway, you know? So even if you're not playing right wing, you're still going to get the puck on that side because you're stretching the D through the middle and you might get a chip uh, along the wall from the, the strong side winger who gets the puck on the breakout. And then all of a sudden you're on your off wing anyway. So again, goes to it. You're going to have to learn these skills, whether you're playing left wing or right wing or even center. Um, but so I think a couple of valuable things for having the puck on your off side. Uh, number one is you're on your one time side. So if you get to that side and you're getting a pass, you can open up for a one timer and the studies will tell you that the quicker you get the puck off your stick on a shot, the more likely from a percentage standpoint, you are to score a goal. So that's number one. Number two, I think it's a lot easier to cut to the middle when you're on your offhand side, because when you cut to the middle, now you're on your forehand and you're able to see the ice and you can make plays as opposed to like your left winger coming down the left side, you cut to the middle. Now you're probably making a play on your backhand, right? Um, so that's another thing. And, and then I think, you know, if you're getting a puck like on a retrieval from the defenseman up to, let's say your lefty and you're playing right wing and Patrick Kane does this all the time. Like he'll get the puck most times in the neutral zone and then he'll kind of get some speed coming back the other way and then, you know, skate the puck up the ice that way. So he's really, really good at that. And I think there is something to be said about just the way your body is, is almost like facing, um, if you're, if you're catching it on your forehand, your body's facing the middle of the ice. So you can see it a little bit better uh, as opposed to catching it on your, your right side or not, not right as in terms of left, but right as in terms of wrong, <laughs> the opposite of wrong catching on your right side. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, your inside shoulder, you're not necessarily facing the middle. So I think in those ways, it is a little bit. I don't want to say easier to play on your off wing, but those are just some benefits to potentially play in your off wing at, at like the higher levels. You ever, did you ever, you played a lot of center. Did you ever play wing and play off wing? Dude. So my four years at Cornell, my freshman year, I played right wing. My sophomore year, I played left wing. My junior year, I played center. And then my uh, senior year, I played left wing. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Every year I played a different position. Now there were wow. certain times throughout those years where I might've played center, you know, a different position as the lines were getting jung juggled and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I played it like for, if you're talking about the line that I played the most on throughout the year, it was different every year. Wow. That's actually crazy. Yeah. And I was always a center. I was always yeah. a center until, um, you know, a little bit in junior hockey and then, and then in college. So um, and then when I got to play pro, I played center again. So it's just kind of crazy. Uh, I played, I played both wings every year. I played both wings. Like didn't, even, I just said, yeah, yeah, I'll play there. I don't care. You're going to play me more. Okay. I'll play wherever you want me to play. I don't care. Just get me on the ice. <laughs> so I kind of forced myself to learn both sides. For sure. Um, moving on. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to go with this one, even though we didn't say we were going to do this one. Cause I want to talk about it. Thoughts on World Junior Championship and women's U18s being canceled? 
Yeah, it sucks. It, it absolutely sucks. I think, um, you know, COVID, it, what are we on? How long has it been now? Almost two years, right? Getting well, on almost. Further than that. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever it is, three years, two years. That's, I, I mean, that's the, the exact point of the answer. It's like, it's been <laughs> so long. We've been living in this right now. Um, I think it's unfortunate. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Uh, from the women's point of view, you know, they absolutely should be pissed off because they continue to find ways for the men to, to have these tournaments and they're getting canceled without even, you know, they started the world juniors at least, and they canceled the U 18s. They canceled the women's, what was it? The women's worlds last year. I can't remember which one it was, um, but they canceled a tournament and the men still played in their, you know, international tournaments. So it's, uh, it's continues to be, uh, a, a difficult fight for the women that they shouldn't have to fight and it should be equal. Now there was this year, and I think it was Gord Miller, Gord Miller. We talked about it a little bit, but Gord Miller talked about the intricacies of the host city and how, you know, the money gets like allocated and a lot of it is on the host city. Um, and, and it, it was just, it was it, go to Gord. If this is something that really interests you go to Gord Miller, who's a TSN broadcaster for the people in the States. He had a really good breakdown of like why the women's, um, U 18s got canceled this year and kind of like the facts behind the financial side of it. Um, so, but I think it just sucks. It sucks for the women that they continue to feel like second citizens in, uh, in hockey. It's, it's gone on for far too long and people need to find a way to make sure that they're not just saying, yeah, it's going to be equal, but actually put it in, you know, in action. Um, so from the woman's side of things, you know, I, I think they absolutely have gripes with, with being canceled as many times as they had with continuing to watch the, the men's go, um, you know, as far as the world juniors this year, I think it was a joke. I think it was an absolute joke that world juniors this year, um, with how few people were testing positive and, and just, I hate talking about this stuff. It's just so polarizing. I know you're a little bit more apt to, to talk about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, it's, it's, we're at a point right now where normalcy would be welcomed in, in a lot of different ways. I think, you know, the numbers that we're seeing now um, is showing that it, it, it's a lot less severe. Um, in terms of the side effects and everything, I think there's a lot of people that are vaccinated and boosted and all that, and which has certainly helped. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's what what I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just it's I'm, I'm ready to be done. Uh, I, I'm just ready to be done. It just sucks. Yeah, it is an absolute buck clap. I wasn't even going to go into like vaccinated or unvaccinated any of that stuff. Um, I, yeah, I think that, you know. They should have had, you know, better protocols. I remember hearing, uh, I remember reading, I think it was the Czech goalie um, had a very, very good post on Instagram. And it was just saying like that it, they like they did a bubble the year before, I think. And like the NHL has had successful bubbles, NBA, whatever. And he said, oh, you know, we, you know, we weren't allowed to test. Um, we couldn't test positive for this. We had to be like so tight before we came, like we only were with each other. We didn't go around anyone. When we got here, we were so good about it. And then we get to the hotel that, 
World Juniors was at, and in the restaurant, it was like where a they had wedding eaten, or something, right? There was yeah. like a wedding going on, and like people everywhere that were just like from out on the street. And for me, like that's pretty unacceptable. Like you should have picked a hotel that wasn't in a space that was had you know contamination zones, whatever the hell you want to call them in the sci-fi movie we're living in. Um, you know, I, so I think that from a tournament standpoint, that that just wasn't executed well. Um, or they should have just not cared if the guys tested positive and they were asymptomatic. As far as the women being canceled, I, again, I don't think, I think if the men can play, the women should play. But there is one thing that, and I asked Megan Shake of this because I talked to her on Instagram. And so I messaged her and I said, like, I really want to like get to the bottom of this. Like uh, you're a stats person. I would love to hear like your thoughts on this. I was like, are the women's tournaments losing a ton of money or not making money? And the men's tournaments are when making money um and that's a reason because like if that's a reason then i think that that should be talked about it should be addressed and then we need to find a way for the women's tournaments to bring in more money so that they can play instead of just canceling them all the time like address the problem and then let's work around the problem and and make it more you know better whether that means we need more sponsorships or you know you need to cut out this or you know you, you need to do like a i don't know some kind of like halftime shows get a band there to get more people in the stands like i don't know i just think it i don't know if that is the problem but if that is then i think it needs to be addressed and they need to start working on it so they bring in more money so it doesn't happen anymore she's she said that that's not necessarily true because there's a ton of men's events in the IIHF that lose a lot of money. Yeah. And that I think world like junior juniors and the world championships might be, yeah, she said even like two, juniors is the only one that, that makes money. I, be, I believe she said there was two men's events that actually make money and the rest lose it. So that yeah. would throw my argument out, uh, not argument, but just like, okay, like whatever, like let's figure it out. But, but like, I mean, if, if, it, if money's not the case, then like, what the hell's going on? So the only thing I could think is like, it has to be money or something like otherwise it makes no sense. So here I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read this Gord Miller, like Twitter thread, because I think it was really like informative to all the stuff that was going on there. And then, um, and then we can move on. But so he says this decision by IHF to cancel six January tournaments for women's U8, four women's U18s and two men's U20 has caused some outrage, which is understandable. What follows is a detailed and unfortunately long-winded explanation of how things have unfolded and how tournaments are run. While IHF provides logistic, organizing, and staff support, the bulk of the costs ho of hosting and running an international tournament are borne by the host federation. This season, more than 30 tournaments are scheduled in various divisions for men and women. In January 2021, the four women's U18 tournaments were canceled, but the top-level men's U18 was played in April. The lower division tournaments were canceled. Why? USA Hockey was the host federation for the men's U18 and agreed to underwrite the cost of bubbling and testing. This year's women's U18 tournaments were again scheduled for Sweden, Hungary, Austria, and Turkey, while the men's U20 tournaments were to be played in Serbia and Mexico. None of those federations could pay the additional costs which run from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. In addition, the IHF medical panel determined this week that with the new wave of the pandemic spreading as it is, having players and officials travel internationally wasn't something that could be safely undertaken in January. 
given the fast spread of the latest variant. And this was on December 24th that he was, he is saying this. So why are the world juniors going ahead? Most of the teams arrived in Alberta and went into quarantine early December and are still in lockdown while being tested daily. The deadline for entering the bubble was December 15th, which was just as the new variant started spreading. This year's tournament is being run jointly by Hockey Canada and the Edmonton Oilers, who are responsible for the cost of running the event, including the bubbling of the hotels, added security, and testing the players daily for nearly a month. So why doesn't the IIHF pay for the tournaments? Simply put, it doesn't have the money. The revenue generated by the two biggest tournaments, the Men's World Juniors and the Men's Worlds, cover the cost of supporting and staffing all the other tournaments. That's why the cost of hosting tournaments is paid by the national federations and beyond hockey, Canada and USA hockey. Most of them don't have the resources to take on the cost of hosting a bubbled international tournament. It's unfortunate, but it's a matter of economics. So I think that is like the perfect explanation of, of it. I mean, that makes sense. Like why wasn't that talked about everywhere? You know, because it's because we love to be polarized. Yeah. And have a strong opinion one way or the other. Right. So, I mean, I was like, understand, like I was pissed when the women's were first canceled and the men's was still going for world juniors. I was really pissed. I thought it was really unfair. And then you, then you, you read that and you kind of understand the ins and outs of it. So again, it just, it goes back to perspective, right? We talk about it all the time. And when you have all the information, get better perspective, and then you can make a more informed decision on what your opinion is on certain things. And so I think, yeah, after I read that, I felt, I felt, uh, you know, much better just in terms of like being informed on how it works. So obviously it sucks. Um, COVID sucks. We're, we're still in it. It's absolutely crazy. Um, we're all polarized by it and, uh, it's, but this was an informed thing that Gord Miller put out and I thank him for that. (laughs) It's not just, it's just not just people yelling at clouds. (laughs) I love it. So, um, all right. Do you have anything else on this one? Uh, no, other than just like if if there are other reasons, like for the other times that the women's gets canceled, I wish they w- we would just figure out what the reasons are so that they can be addressed and then move forward so it doesn't happen. And anymore. make sure it freaking happens. Yeah. Right. Like what yeah. are the problems and let's get some solutions to it. 100%. Exactly. State the problem, find the solution. Booyah. Play. There we go. All right. Next question. Here we go. This is from Justin in Oakville, Ontario. What are two to three position specific skills for forwards and defense coaches that they should be focusing on when developing junior hockey players? Great question. Vex, you want to get her started? Or you want me yeah. To start so we point? said two or three uh, position specific skills. skills. Yeah. Um, position specific. Why don't you just uh, start with one, maybe? Yeah. Well, say for wingers, um, learning how to engage on faceoffs. Cause that's something only wingers do. And, you know, when you start playing juniors and you're younger, um, you don't realize how important engaging off a face off is and getting body position and being able to help your center out or get through slash through beat your guy with an angle so that you can put pressure on their D right away. If they win the draw, you know, whatever your scheme is. So for wingers, the first one I'd say would be definitely be um, learning how to engage and battle on faceoffs. Yeah, we always talk go shoulder to shoulder first, then beat the guy for the body position, then understand where the puck is. You might, if it's a, a clean loss, then you got to get through hard and and disrupt that defenseman. Um, if you win it, you got to hold that guy up uh, a little bit to give your defenseman a little bit of time. Or if there's a second, third effort where the puck is, 
Uh, you got to get, I have shown so much video this year to my team on face-offs. Um, and we're not a crazy face-off play. I don't love having a ton. We have like two or three and that's about it that we use. Um, but it, for me, it's all about mentality. You have to go in there with a the mentality. It's, I actually like it. Our, our 18 year coach, Mike Monty, he calls it the line of scrimmage. So it's like the offensive lineman versus the defensive lineman and who's going to win the battle of the trenches. You know, you hear football t- coaches talk about how important that, um, you know, that line of scrimmage is to, to being able to, to be successful in football. I think it's very similar in hockey because face-offs are, uh, it's all about hockey's all about puck possession and face-offs are however many it is a game and it's a lot that's a um a, a chance to get possession for your team and so the better you are face-off wise uh, the more you're going to have the puck and I, I agree i think it's i think that's really good for sure love it love it so um i'll go with one so i kind of went a different way obviously i knew this question was coming so i got a little bit of time to to prepare for it i i kind of went um skills that like everybody should get or learn um skills the d and then skills of forwards so uh, i'll go with all i think number one most important thing is scanning and shoulder checking scanning and shoulder checking is one of the most important skills that at any position you you need to have defensemen going back to get retrievals defensemen understanding where guys are in the d zone and and tying up and and boxing out i mean there's so many different places on the ice we're scanning and shoulder checking important defense going up the ice understanding when to jump seeing what what's going on with the pattern of the play is it my time to jump is it not my time to jump how much uh, what, what kind of timing do i need where are the other defenders where uh, are as we're going up the ice uh, on the rush um you know forwards shoulder checking going back uh as wingers to uh, understand where the pressure is coming from, you know, with, uh, with the defense, are they coming down to pinch as a center? We're shoulder checking to understand where the F2 and F3 are on the breakout. And you're trying to get in the middle for a little slip They're It just scanning and shoulder checking, just, it makes the game so much easier. So I think for every position, that's <laughs> probably the most important one. Oh, and obviously 100% agree. Um, for forwards, I guess for another one, I'd say, obviously, um, learning how to support and that's like all over the ice whether that's in a battle down low and you need to know like where your toes need to be pointed and where your d-man is positioning as far as supporting like that scrum that's in your strong side corner um or supporting as a middle out on the breakout or you know like kind of supporting everywhere as a winger like you always you got to be all over the ice and you've got to be able to support you got to be able to come across you got to be able to go same side um so learning when how when how and stuff like that to support battles and and be around the pocket it's very important yeah yeah for sure um, okay. Uh, I'm going to go to, uh, a defense one. And this is one that I've been working on a lot with our D and that's using the net to break pressure, having the ability to use the net to break pressure, sucking a four checker in, uh, or sucking, you know, uh, a guy that's in, in their offensive zone and you, you need to break pressure, use the net. The net is your best friend as, uh, as a defender, especially on retrievals and, and breakouts. So if you can find a way to, again, like I said, suck a guy in and then go the opposite way out of the net, uh, get your shoulder down and then get to the middle of the ice. So now you have multiple options, 
um, to be able to pass the puck. I think, you know, if, if you're watching a, a high level hockey game, you know, those, those guys are so good at using net to relieve pressure and, and start uh, a transition the other way out of the D zone. And uh, part of it is using the net to, to be able to protect the puck, but also, like I said, getting to the middle of the ice, that's the second part of it. Because if you just use the net and you go, um, up one side of the ice, you're just eliminating a lot of ice to, to be able to skate or pass the puck to. And so, um, yeah, we've been working on that a lot and you're seeing the fruits of it in a lot of our games. I think our, our defense are doing a great job of it. We did it a ton at Cornell every week. We did a use the net drill. That's awesome. I love that. And I love watching D men who are so good at sucking forwards in oh, and then, and then pleasure to watch right way. Like it is so awesome to watch that. One of the guys that I train in the mornings, uh, he's, uh, drafted by Youngstown, uh, Mario DiMaggio, D man out of St. Louis. He was so good at that a few years ago when I was coaching him. I loved watching him like, yeah, yeah come get that. See you. And then he just hits around <laughs> the corner and it's from the forward. You just can't get him. It's just a bad play. I'll, uh, I'll throw another one out there and it's very similar to the one that I just said for, um, forwards, but like for D it's going to be like learning how to support your partner not just the puck, but your partner, whether that means you guys are running a rocking horse or a seesaw or, you know, what do you call this? Everybody's got different names for it. A hinge, like with your hinge, you know, the hinge play, like if you're a good partner and you support and you're able to find the lane or make a lane for your partner to be able to pass to you, like that's such a massive play for that uh, D-man not just having to throw it off the boards if he gets in trouble, be able to hinge underneath, and then you have another chance to make a clean play um, entering the zone. That changes you know possession and everything massively. But then also like learning how and when to call reverses or when to pop and slot for the D-man coming around the net. So like having a lot of talk with your partner. Um, it's a skill or, or having a lot of chemistry. It's a skill, but it's also something like you can be talking all the time between every shift, sit next to your partner. What would you see? Where could I have been for you? Could, could you hear me just asking questions like that? When you watch video, like if you really want to be a good D pair, like do everything together, talk to each other all the time, watch video together, and it will make you mass way more massively successful if you can support your partner all the time. Yeah, the most important person on a retrieval is not the guy going to get the puck. It's it's the person that's supporting the guy that's going to get the puck. And going back to what I was saying about the scanning and the shoulder checking, you know, obviously we're watching on video the guy who's going back to the puck shoulder checking, but the support players need to be shoulder checking as well and understanding where the pressure is coming from, even more so than the guy with the puck. And yeah, and, and you're seeing even nowadays you talk about working together as defense pairs to, to support each other, but also what a lot of teams are doing nowadays is when you're transitioning from defensive zone coverage into your breakout and getting up the ice, a lot of teams are using that defenseman in front of the net to break pressure and to start skating the puck out as well. So yeah, the, the, the D is, is so massively important when it comes to supporting the puck and uh, in, in a ton of different ways. I, I, I really like that. Um, okay. Uh, one more for me, and this is uh, for four words and that's shooting off the pass, 
shooting off the pass is, and, and we just talked about it in our Windy City Storm roundtable last week on, on the offensive zone, but, um, you know, shooting off the pass, so many, like the percentages of the amount of goals that are scored off the pass is, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like 50 or 60%. I'll have to ask Nar again what it was because he's the one that tracked it that, that we talked to. Um, but, you know, so many drills in practice uh, that I'm seeing, it's a player skating the puck up the ice from far blue line or the red line in and then shooting the puck that never happens in a game that hardly ever happens in a game. And the percentages of a player scoring when they hold on to the puck for more than two seconds is very, very, very low. So I think teaching forwards and designing drills on how to shoot and receive off a pass um, massively, massively important. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a skill that needs to be worked on. And I think drill design is, is really important when it comes to that in practice. Yeah. I love it. A lot of repetition and a lot of forcing the kids to get out of their comfort zones too. Like that was a massive emphasis by Hastings in our practices was like shooting in stride, getting, getting one timers off, like, not dusting it off when you know you're in the offensive zone and getting a pass and shooting it and like I really took that to heart and that literally helped me score so many goals like not thinking oh I got to catch and like put it under the bar as hard as I can it's more like just freaking get it off immediately and you have a pretty good chance of beating the goalie yeah um, and, and that was that was like game changer for me yeah 100% hundred percent. Uh, okay. You had some pretty good questions too. Um, to let's, let's, let's get her, let's keep her going here. What do you got? Uh, let's throw a quick, quick fun one in here. Okay. Uh, nastiest goal you ever scored. Nastiest goal I've ever scored. Ooh, not like timely, like nastiest where you did something gross. Okay. So not like an OT winner, but well, like, yeah, yeah, that I mean, like, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I scored a few OT winners that were pretty awesome. Um, that was actually, you know what, one of the OT, oh, this is a great story too. Okay. So you ready for this? So, you know, the world junior, it's called the world junior a challenge now where they take like the best, uh, players from the USHL and they go up to Canada to play in yeah. like, a tournament, you know, during the season, it used to be called the Viking cup, right? Yeah, it was in Viking, that. Alberta. And yeah. I wanted to make that team. Like it was my dream. I just wanted to play for team USA once in my freaking career. Um, and my last year in Chicago, playing for the steel in the ushl uh i remember i was having a really good year and i'm like man like i might i might make this team like i'm one of the top score like i i, I think i got a shot and pk o'hanley was coaching the team and he coached in waterloo he's been coaching in waterloo forever um and it was like a week before the um the the roster was being unveiled and <laughs> we're playing waterloo at home right and so I'm like, I gotta have a freaking great game here. I have like PK's coaching. Um, like I gotta put my stamp on it. Like, you know, I'm a smaller player. So I have to like go above and beyond to, to make it. And so that game, I was so jazzed to play and I ended up having a goal and two assists heading into overtime, right? Ooh. Goal and two assists heading into overtime. And then I got the puck and literally went end to end and scored the OT winner in that game. And this was, I think, I think it was five on five or four on four. So it wasn't like the three on three, like, it, like it is nowadays. I can't remember. And, and so I, I, I got the puck like in our zone, I skated through the middle 
I kind of walked the defenseman, came in on a breakaway, walked the goalie. Like it was, it was a legit highlight reel goal. And I'm like, there's no way he's dogging me now. Not a chance. I'm not making this team, you know? And then, and knowing at the time, I had no idea at the time that he's not the one actually picking the team. I'm sure he has input, but there are other people within USA hockey that are scouting and watching and yada, 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 whatever. But I remember after scoring that goal, I was on cloud nine. I'm like, there's no way I'm not making this team. There's no way I'm not making this team. And I've told stories on the podcast before how I was an alternate to go on a Team USA trip. But the guy literally told me that I was too small and we're looking for size on this team. So you're going to be an alternate. If somebody gets hurt, you can go. So that was a dagger. And then this time I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm finally going to be able to wear the USA jersey. And then uh, Jeff Dunn, who you know, was living with us at the time. And uh, Dunner got a call a week later from somebody at USA Hockey. And he was like, congratulations, you know, you made the Viking Cup team, the team to go up, you made it. And so I'm sitting by my phone. I'm like, all right, I'm next. Like, it's going to come. Like, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Kept waiting by the phone. Kept waiting by the phone. Kept waiting by the phone. The damn call never came. And I didn't end up making the team. And I was so like heartbroken because I, again, thought I deserved to make it. Um, but that's life and lit a fire oh. under my ass, another fire that needed to be lit under my ass again. Um, so just, uh, yeah, like that might've been the like nastiest. That was the question, right? Nastiest goal yeah. that you've scored. Yeah. Um, but yeah, came, came with a bit of a story and I'm still a little sour about it. Yeah. I love it though. Oof. What about you? Man, I was on the edge of my seat. I was really hoping you got that call. I did not get the call. I remember going to the rink that day for practice and, you know, going to the coach's office and being like, like, did I make, did I not make it? Like what's going on? And then it got unveiled and I was, yeah, not a, uh, that was a bummer. Big bummer. Huge butt club. Um, right, what about you? Uh, nastiest goal ever. I don't know. I think I had a really, really nice goal in college where, I uh, toe dragged the living shit out of the D-man sliding across. I pulled it in uh, and just went low blocker posting in. That's probably probably one of my nicest goals because I was never really known for my stick handling um, powers. <laughs> so for me to pull off like this massive toe, it was pretty gross. And it was a, I think it was a game winner in Ferris State. So I'd say that's probably, I don't know, that one just always sticks out in my mind. Um, moving on uh what separates good players from the best Ooh, i like that question that's a great question what separates the good players from the best i've told this story on the podcast before um but i remember going to the ecac finals up in lake placid this was after i was done coaching at cornell but i i went up there because they were in the championship game i remember walking into a restaurant and scott young he was big time blue uh usa olympian he uh i i don't know if he still is yeah 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 but he shot the puck in stride like a mo oh he was unreal dude i think he scored 41 year and so uh he was sitting at the bar eating dinner and so i i had met him before so i kind of joined him and we started talking hockey and just eating dinner and stuff and he was i believe the director player development for pittsburgh at the time and he might still have that role i'm not sure um but we had a great conversation on hockey and i literally asked him this question and I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, but I said, Hey, like what, what's the difference between a guy that sticks in the NHL and a guy that goes up and down, you know, and I'm expecting him to say hockey sense, competitiveness, something like that. And his answer was self-reflection. 
self-reflection. That's the difference between guys that stick and guys that don't. It's the guys that understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, uh, understand the type of role that they need to play to be able to, to stick. And, and a lot of times that's a role that they're not used to playing. <laughs> Potentially a lot of guys that are playing pro hockey were the most skilled players at their position and got to play in those types of minutes. And then a lot of, you know, a lot of guys have to retool their game to be able to play a different type of role because they're not going to beat out Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin to play on the power play and, and things like that. Um, so self-reflection, just reflect on who you are, what your identity is as a player, people I think who are really true to, to their identity as a player, but can also add in certain things to, to fit certain roles. Those are, are um, you know, those are, those are big. So that was a, a really cool answer from, from him on that question, guy that obviously knows what, what he's talking about. And then for me, I think it's just uh, predictability predictability is the is the thing that predictability and preparation like the guys that i know that went on to do some pretty cool things at the nhl level like they had routines they never wavered like they never wavered from their preparation you know where that person was going to be two hours before practice all the way up until practice time and then for an hour after that um, and they just prepared the same way every single day. You knew the effort that you were going to get from them every single day. And just that consistency and that predictability to their preparation of their game. I think that's a, that's a thing that really separates a lot of, and I've asked that question, honestly, a lot to a lot of high level uh, people in the NHL. And, and a lot of the time that answer comes up, it's like a mindset. It's like an everyday mindset that they have. Um, that is just pretty special. So, um, those are, those are the two that I think are, are good. So for all the kids out there, massively important to, to hear that. And I think for all the coaches out there, um, or the advisors or people or the parents who are helping kids out, I think, you know, those are things that, what can you do to put kids in an environment where, um, and, and maybe what kind of activities are you doing with your players where they're going to be able to do those things? Literally don't even think I can or should add to any, anything. To that. I think that, honestly, I think it was perfect. Like as soon as you said self-reflection, I was like, Ooh, yeah, that is a, that, well, you were, yeah. I mean, you were, you were in Boston, right? Like you were in training camps and, and pre-seasons with the Charas and the Bergerons and the Marshons and, and things like that. Like those are obviously guys that that stuck. And then you played a lot of years in the AHL as well. Like, would you say that those things that I just said are, predictors let's call them of the guys that stayed and the guys that didn't yeah a hundred percent absolutely talent obviously has something to do with it injuries has something to do with it luck has something to do with it yeah execution just like consistently executing but that would be that's what makes you predictable you know like what do you get what am i going to get out of the guy so like consistent execution is what is you know caused uh, causes the predictability that every coach wants to know, what am I going to get out of this guy? I want to know that somebody I'm going to get, you know, 75 good games out of 82 or like whatever, every single year, going to be a good guy in the locker room, you know, good positive, you know, role model for the younger guys. And if it's an older guy, like they want all these boxes to be checked, but the way that you get there and stick yeah, I mean, wow. Like that was just so good because like you said, so many, so many guys are the best player, the best player on their previous teams. And then every level you go up, you're, it's very hard you to stay. Not be. Probably not going to be. <laughs> and the odds are that you're not going to be the best player and you're probably not even going to be one of the best players. So what else can you do? Um, that's like something else we talked about earlier in the podcast, like learning the rest of the game, playing all the positions so that you can have more, you know, tools in your toolbox.
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, we got one more or a couple more? Yeah. What do you got? Uh, Peewee and below development. I'm racking my brain about this. That's just a question? Yeah, like what type, I'm guessing, you know, what type of development, what cut types of things should you be doing for development? Develop the passion for the game. 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 Like, obviously, um, it's what's Roger Grillo call it? Flintstone vitamins. So you have to wrap things like doing skills and teaching concepts and all of that. Like, so it's like the vitamin, you're getting those kinds of things out of it, but it's the Flintstones. It's fun. It's like my kids, they eat gummy vitamins. <laughs> they think it's so cool because it's gummies, but they're actually vitamins. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of sugar in it and who knows if it's actually good for them. But anyway, <laughs> um, but everything that you do from peewees and below, and, and I mean, it's kind of the same as you get older to a certain extent, but you have to make it fun. You have to develop the passion for the game. that's where it needs to start. Um, And then the second thing that I would say, obviously you need to work on the skills, the skating, the pass, the the shooting, the passing. But for me, the most important one is the passing because the passing for me is the teacher of the understanding of the game. That's how the kids, you know, how people say like, they got to figure it out. Like you need to do drills where, you know, players to certain extents can only hold on to the puck for a certain amount of time and games where they can only hold on to the certain amount of time. So they have to have their head up and look for people. And then it puts an onus on the other kids to have to get open as well. You know, I, I think passing the skill of passing is one that's huge, but also the concepts around passing the, the hockey sense, the understanding, the pressure, the understanding, the open spaces that are going to be on the ice. You know, when you get a little bit older, the understanding of the certain patterns that are going on within a, a game. So um, number one, passion by a long shot. And then, you know, the fundamentals of the game, especially, especially, especially the passing. Love it. I don't know Very if that's well. what this person was looking for. It's a pretty open-ended question, but yeah. Yeah, I, I would say, I guess I'll, since you did such a good job nailing that on the head, I guess I'll go with off ice, um, off ice. Oh, yeah. Also, also honestly, developing a passion in the off ice. I, I, you know, I tell the coaches that run, um, you know, the workouts for the younger kids out of my gym, like first and foremost, like I want them to have fun. I want them to want to come here. Let's disguise skills in games you know, I play a lot of games and work on different skills, constraint led approach to the games. Um, and then the fundamentals and just hammer the fundamentals and then, you know, game and then hide fundamentals in games and, you know, that kind of thing. So again, developing a passion for that, making them want to be there. And that doesn't mean taking it easy on them or they're not working hard because you can have it both off, you know, with off ice. I've definitely been able to do that. Um, for instance, if you want them to work on sprints and, and also like, uh, a little bit of having to process information. Like I play a game, uh, where it's just rock, paper, scissors, two kids meet in the middle of the gym. I say, okay, if you win, both of you have to sprint to the right. Whoever gets to the right first wins. If you win, you both have to sprint this way for one guy to be the right one guy to be the left. And so they play rock, paper, scissors. And then you got to know, did I win? Okay. If I didn't win, which way do I go? Or if I did win, which way do I go? And you have to think quickly. And so that's a way to disguise, you know, a little bit of a processing, um, hand-eye coordination type of thing. And then also sprinting and deceleration. 
um, you know, all things you want to work on and it's hidden in a fun game. So um, very similar to what Tope said on the ice, but for off ice as well. I like it. I like it. All right. We got time for one more. Yeah. What's uh, I like the one that you had earlier that we talked about before uh, favorite episodes. Oh, our fa- our I was going to be from Vinnie Barra. Uh, did you wash it? <laughs> <laughs> How about, is it oh, true Vinny. that if you don't use it, you lose it? <laughs> you lose it. Uh, Vinny, I didn't watch it. Um, <laughs> favorite episodes, favorite episodes. Uh, I, I'm going to go back to uh the two episodes where we told our stories yeah, because sure. like i felt like i got to know you even better like i know your story you know i was there with you but i wasn't there with you all the time you know like we talked and stuff and but like to hear that in depth about you um it was really cool for me and you know i didn't, never talked about like making concussion stuff with you ever so like the first episode where you know you interviewed me like i don't know it was just nice to like talk about that stuff you know yeah so i'd say like the, those two for me um it is kind of nice it's so weird right like kind of bearing it all because that's one thing we've always been on this podcast is just like completely transparent and open yeah and it's so yeah. funny how um and somebody asked me this question once about it because they're like i can't believe you're so open and forthcoming about all of these different things and challenges and, and all of that, because there's like, we have thousands of listeners that, that listen to this, but at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're all a product of a lot of shared experiences and I've grown and I've healed and I've gotten better from hearing how certain people have gotten through certain things in their life that I am probably or I had gone through or I'm going through or whatever it may be. Right. So um, I just, if we can be that for some people that might be going through some struggles or going through some ups or just need a little bit of shared experience information. Um, I, I think that's, that's a huge, that's a huge part of the reason why we do the podcast, I think. And, and it's just, a it's a lot of fun. It's almost like a therapy session sometimes when you kind of bear it, which we did on those episodes for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like no doubt a hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it was therapeutic, you know, it was, <laughs> it was it, it, like, that's what I don't know, I was thinking there's another word, but like, yeah, and it was. You were uh, looking for a big word, weren't you? Looking for like a Cornell word, and I only found <laughs> a Western Michigan word. There you so. go. <laughs> but yeah, those two, and then anytime we've had on anybody that like we know really well, yeah, I think that I love bringing on people we don't know, like 100%, because that's, you know, I learned the most because I haven't heard their story or, and everything. But like, I love bringing on Dorado, like, obviously, love getting fired up, love getting uh, Adam Nicholas on, you know, love getting like our, you know, guys I played with on or guys who train with me, or guys, you know, who, who coached with you or played with you. It's always fun to like see guys faces light up when we do the video chat um and and just like oh do you remember this and then we talk before and after the show a little bit with them and yeah you know winds up being like oh man i only had like an hour and a half to do this tonight and we wind up staying on the computer for like three hours because we were all just throwing <laughs> stories back and forth so those are always really fun too yeah i i really enjoy obviously the ones of the people that we know um I think our hockey centric ones with really smart hockey people are, are awesome. So I think back to like, obviously Brandon Arado, Brian Kane, Adam Nicholas, uh, Daryl Belfry, Patrick O'Sullivan, 
um, those were, those were a lot of fun to just, you, you feel like you're getting better as a, as a hockey person. I think our first episode with Robbie Shrimp was probably the one that like literally made our podcast take off. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, and this was like, I don't know, three years ago. Um, I think that was like number seven. See, I think it was number seven, maybe. And it it was unbelievable because hockey is this sport where people are tight lipped and buttoned up and they don't want to upset the apple cart. And, you know, Shrempy just came on and just bared it you know, all of his challenges, you know, he was a first round draft pick, had all this hype and probably didn't get to a spot where he felt like he got to where he needed to get to and, and had a lot of challenges along the way and, and wasn't afraid to speak his mind. And and that was one that was, I think it, it also helped us to kind of open up a little bit more too. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that was one that, you know, we got a ton of feedback off that one. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe Shrempy was saying these things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that was, it was unreal. yeah. And like, I'm glad you went first because I, as you were talking, I, I, I was obviously listening, but I was also thinking about different, different ones because I think we, we can each have favorite ones for different reasons. Right. Um, I think from a youth hockey perspective or youth sports perspective, one that we just did pretty recently with John O'Sullivan, that was a really refreshing one when it came to just how the youth sports culture works. Um, being in youth hockey, uh, it was a conversation I needed just to kind of help me figure out the craziness of what's going on in my life with all this youth hockey stuff. Uh, so that was a really good one with John O'Sullivan. I think the one we did with our moms was was yeah, unreal was really, yeah, hockey really mom episode fun. that one was a lot of fun just being able to reminisce with with aunt Kyle and and my mom aunt deb to you so that was a good one another one that i really enjoyed just personally was one that we did with ben sire laura sire and my wife emma and we just kind of talked a lot about the ins and outs of like the whole life of college hockey recruiting and and how it affects the family and, you know, like it was a lot of fun. And Ben Sire is one of my favorite people in the entire world and just getting the chance to, you know, reconnect with him and Laura, his wife, who's a rock star as well. And, and obviously have an M on there too. That was, that was a lot of fun to do. So those are ones that kind of stick out to me um, that, that were fun, a lot of fun to do. So many, there's so many good ones that come to mind. Dude, we're, we're coming up on 200, man. We're almost at 200. Can you believe that? <sighs> that's wild. Yeah. That's next. a lot. Of, that's a lot. Wow. That's wow. That's cool. Talk about consistency. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm sitting here in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> like bro, we, we, we are making sure we get her going. Every we are week. at a 12 hour day today. And then this is 13 to 14, putting it in for you people. We love you. <laughs> we do love you. And uh, yeah, I, I think this was a lot of fun. Again, thank you so much to everybody who, who put their questions in. I know we didn't get to everybody's, but uh, from a time standpoint, we want to make sure we don't take on too long. Uh, we'll do more mailbag episodes in the future. And uh, yeah, we appreciate uh, everybody that, that wrote in. And we also appreciate our awesome, awesome sponsors. We got gel sticks, our title sponsor, weighted training aids, the best out there used by the NHL, used by college teams, used by the national development program in the United States, um, used by Max Scott, my brother. He's, he has his gel stick out there for all of our practices, which is, uh, which has been great. So gelsticks.com, G E L 
sdx.com and get a discount with your weighted training sticks by using the coupon code think tank one word train heroic which is the training app that jeff uses he puts all of his workouts on there over a thousand people have used it and he's got his train with me thing going he trains different college teams and junior teams and youth programs with it it's just uh man you've done such a great job pivoting in this covid age of going virtual uh and helping out so many people not just in uh, the st louis area but beyond so awesome awesome stuff go to train heroic app on your phone download ripped hockey r-i-p-t hockey to train with vex and then we want to thank icehockeysystems.com as well. These guys are amazing. It is the best website out there for all your coaching and parenting youth hockey and high-level hockey needs. Thousands of drills, whiteboard explanations. It's an unbelievable way to um, just folder all of and put all of your intellectual property for your program together in one place. You can share all your drills with everybody in your organization. We've partnered with them to do an associations package, which is just like for the cost of this thing, guys, it's, it's incredible. And if you don't have this for your youth organization, you, you need to get it. You get access to so many different drills, whiteboard explanations. You can drop your own drills, send them to all your teams and all your players and all your coaches uh, before your practices. I use it with, uh, with my team to plan my practices. It's, it's made life a whole heck of a lot easier. And if you're a parent out there or for hockey directors out there, they also have access every single one of your parents to our hockey think tank parent survival guide that can help you navigate this whole crazy youth hockey process so thank you to uh, ice hockey systems go to icehockeysystems.com use the associations tab to get this for your youth program today and vex we can't say it enough every day every time we end our podcast with thanking all of our unbelievable listeners it's amazing to think that we're almost 200 episodes in uh and the thousands of people that tune in every week to this thing and so we we love you guys we so appreciate you guys continuing to to tune in and and talk some hockey and listen some hockey with us uh whether you're on your way to the rink whether you're on your way to work whether you're with your kids in the car or you're just by yourself and getting some me time so we so 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 appreciate you we love you and thank you so much for all the support that you've given us vex anything to end this shebang on nah, just thank you appreciate it and keep sending uh keep sending us people you think would be a good uh interview for the podcast or conversation for the podcast love yep. you know uh having having people send that stuff and whenever we can we'll try and get some of those people on so that's always fun you guys connecting us with somebody Yep. It's happened plenty of times. So if you have people that you know that you think would be great, let us know. Jeff has a blue check mark on Instagram. So you know where to find them. And uh, for me, you can message me on social media, email me at Topher at the hockey think tank.com, whatever's easiest for you. So thank you everybody. Hope you have a great 